So that's 1 John chapter 2 from 12 to 17. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides ever, forever. Can I uh, add my welcome to Kenny's? It's wonderful to see you here. Um, Hopefully everyone can hear me, whether you're at the back with the little ones or whether you're in the front. That's great. Uh, My name's Rob. Uh, I'm the pastor of the church. Uh, Only fairly recently, actually. Uh, So if you're new to Beckentry Church um, and I look like I'm fumbling around trying to learn what I'm doing, then that's why. Um, uh, But it's great to have you here and great to be in this letter of 1 John. Uh, which we have been looking at as a church. We've done sort of two weeks prior to this, um, looking at chapter one, uh, but now we're in sort of chapter two. Um, but I'm sure you'll be able to pick up some of the things as we go along. Uh, the passage in, is in front of you. Please do keep that open because I'll reference a few different numbers of, of verses as we go through, so you can see that what I'm saying is is what's right in front of you. Uh, it's not what I think. It's what what's, uh, what God's word says. I want that pray for us when we start. Father God, you are true, and your word is true. And we know that there's lots of things uh, in our hearts, in our lives, that that aren't true. And uh, that cloud our judgment. Uh, That that we would rather not admit, but actually make us those who would prefer falsehood and lies and darkness. Please, would you open our hearts to see who you are today? Uh, that we may walk in the light of who you are uh, forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My opening question for you is, uh, which glasses, sorry for people who actually do wear glasses, but which glasses do you have on as you look around the world? How, How do you look at the world? And how do you interpret what you see? Sight is really powerful, isn't it? It's, sort of, it's not just what we see, but it's how we interpret it. And, um, and, that's, and, and the things that are going on in your life, the things that are going on around the world, how do you interpret them? Is it with the eyes of God's word and, and his eyes uh, as uh, what he says about it? Um, and, and what we'll see really is that that's a high contrast image. There's, there's dark and there's light. It's a really, really uh, sharp image. 
Or is it with our own eyes, our worldly eyes, what we just see in front of us? And what we'll see about that is that the contrast is turned right down. Everything pretty much looks the same. And we can't really see what, what's good and we can't really see what's bad. We can't really see what's of him and what's not of him. Uh, John is writing this letter to Christians primarily, uh, but, but it's a, a book that all of us can benefit from. It's a letter, and his desire is to help them to see two different uh, things. They're, not, they're completely different, in fact. And he wants to draw attention to the fact that they're not, they're not the same. The first thing is faith in Jesus and who he is, uh, which he passed on as one of the people who saw what Jesus did, heard what he taught, and he passed on that message. Um, And the other group are actually those who are saying something completely different about Jesus. You read about them in uh, chapter 2, which is just over the page. In 2 verse 22... So the big number two, the little number 22, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And Christ is a Bible word, isn't it? It's not a word we come across in everyday language. People will say, oh, Jesus Christ is a blasphemy. But Christ means that he is the anointed one of God. He has come as the rescuer king that God promised uh, to redeem mankind from sin to relationship with God. That's what Christ means. And some people are denying that. They're saying, nah, he's not. In fact, he's, he's a different version of Jesus, and this is what we'll tell you he's like. And, and, and what John's been doing in his letter so far is he's sort of been just turning up the contrast on what we see. So he's saying, yes, these two might look, you know, fairly similar. Not, not, it's not that different. But he's turning up the contrast to show that this is the true faith, belief in Jesus that the Christians he's writing to have. And this is something which is entirely different. Don't, don't listen to that. Don't go that way. Don't, don't even entertain it because it's not, it's not going to end up well for you. It's an important thing for Christians to hear. It's an important thing for non-Christians to hear, isn't it? People who wouldn't call themselves believers because we want to know the truth and John's saying, hey, there's, there's lots of people who say this is the truth about Jesus, but, but it's not. So how are you going to tell the difference? Um, last week we saw a couple of things. We saw that the way people um, talk about sin and the, the, the solution to our sin is one way you can tell that. Uh, the other way we saw is that actually some people say, hey, we believe in Jesus, but they're just not very loving towards one another. You can see they just don't care about each other. So there's no real change in their lives. don't know if you come across a few churches like that. Certainly hope is not the case when you come to our church. But it could be, couldn't it? It could be that we say we believe something about Jesus. But it doesn't actually translate. Uh, We'll we'll come back to, to John telling us how we're able to resist the lies next week. And you'll see that in verses 15, uh, 18 to verse 27 uh, of chapter 2. So that's the sort of next section, and we'll get to that next week. But think about it. that The lies that people are going to give about Jesus would have no traction in the life of Christians if it wasn't for the crooked desires that they had. John has already told us, hasn't he, that Christians sin. 
and they, they're tempted to sin. And really, the only way that the lies will have traction, the lie of, hey, come to us, we can tell you about Jesus, and you can have God and you can live how you want, the only way that's going to gain traction is if that's what we really want. And so John, in this passage today, uh, from verses 12 through to 17, is going to talk about that. And we're going to look at it in two halves. As John t- uh, shows us in verses 12 to 14, he shows us that every believer, every Christian, has a new identity. That's the first point. The new identity of all believers. And he does that before he goes on to talk about the instruction where he's going, to talk, he's going to deal with, basically, our desires. And he's going to show us that we, as Christians, we have a new desire. So we're first going to look at the new identity in verses 12 to 15. And then we're going to look at the new desire all Christians have, every believer has. Um, let's read together uh, verses 12 to 15, uh, 12 to 14, sorry. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. It'd be helpful just to sort of pick out uh, the different categories. You'll see they're kind of repeated there, aren't they? Uh, But the words that John uses as he goes through there, what are they there? First up, little children, which is repeated in uh, further down as well. I write to you children. Fathers, it's the second group. And the third one is young men. The first category of children actually refers to all believers. It's not a subcategory. It's not a subgroup. It's all believers. And the reason I think we can tell that is because John refers throughout his letter to Christians as little children. It's not a new thing for this passage. He calls them little children again and again and again. In 2 verse 1 he says, my little children... So I think it's right to see that whatever John says about children here is true of all believers. He is going to talk a little bit about those who are older and those who are younger. But what he's going to say about children here is what what he says about all believers. So this is the identity that he describes. Um, That kind of tone, though, it does reflect some of his paternal instinct towards them, doesn't it? He really cares about them. He's affectionate towards them. It might also uh, speak about some of the vulnerability that they felt as new believers. Perhaps they are young in the faith. Perhaps they've not been Christians very long. And so they feel weak and wobbly. And that's part of what he's saying, why he's writing this to them. Okay, so the other two subgroups are fathers and young men. And we saw that, didn't we, in verses 13 and 14. I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. But what John calls them has some significance. But what he's going to say about them, that's going to have far more significance, isn't it? 
And what he's going to say about their identity links directly to what he's going to say about the instructions for them in the next bit. They are true children of God. They, what does he say about them? They, their sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know him who is from the beginning. I think that's a reference to chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Jesus, the word of life appeared. Him who is from the beginning. You know you have overcome the evil one. And you know the father. So let's have a think about those things in turn. This is what is true of every believer. Their sins have been forgiven. We sang that, didn't we, in our first song. I stand amazed and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And that is the status of everyone, isn't it? A sinner, well, we, we sin. We know that. There's no beating around the bush about that. We're condemned. That means God is, is against sin in our lives and in the lives of everyone in the world. And unclean. We have no right to draw near God. Maybe that's how we feel when we sin. We're guilty. And yet, chapter 2, verse 1, says that um, we can be cleansed. Sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says this. Uh, verse 9. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the identity of the Christian is they are clean. They've been washed by the blood of Jesus. They are right before God. God has forgiven them their sins. It's a sort of present perfect, isn't it? It's kind of ongoing. Your sins are forgiven. What? The ones previously? The ones in the future? Your sins are forgiven. That is the stake in the ground that John's laying here. He's saying, you want to know who you are? Your sins are forgiven. That is massive for your identity, isn't it? Before God, I mean, other people might, might not agree with that, but it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because if God says your sins are forgiven, then your sins are forgiven. If Jesus has paid for your sin, then you're forgiven. Second thing he says is they know the Father. They know God himself. The Father. They know Jesus who is from the beginning. And as I've said before, the, John is referring to Jesus, the one who is from the beginning, as he said back in verse 1. Um, and the third, fourth thing he says is the evil one has already been overcome in them. So John just say, look, there is a threat for you but that threat is has been disarmed by what Jesus has done the evil one has been overcome at the cross he triumphed over them and so really you don't need to fear you don't need to fear temptation sin these things you don't need to you don't need to fear the fact that um, it seems all too much. And these weak and wobbly Christians will be thinking, will be hearing this and be thinking, wow, this is me. My sins are forgiven. I know him. Yes, I do know him. I know God as Father. And I'm strong 
Not because I am a good person or I'm I'm really, really committed to to being a Christian. No, because the word of God abides in me, it says in verse 14. The word of God, the message of Jesus that was shared with them has already started to bear fruit in their lives. And that's what gives them strength. And the, over, the evil one has been overcome. So it's amazing, isn't it, that, God, that John and God here sets up our identity. Says believers are, are like this. That's who they are. Way before he gets on to saying anything about how we are to be. In terms of his instruction, what we are to do. But he does have a very clear point to make for us this evening about what we are, how we are to be as Christians. It's there in verse 15. Characteristically, John is very blunt, okay? If you read the letter, he's just very blunt. So he hasn't even sort of flagged up that this is going to be his application. He's not talked about this before and he just comes straight out with it. Shoots from the hip. Verse 15, Christian, do not love the world. All the things in the world. Don't love the world and the things in the world. Now, if any of you who have could even quote one, one verse from the Bible, my guess is that would be John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal. I mean well done that's a memory verse it's a pretty good one as well um, do, John's saying do not love the world but that verse that he wrote by the way inspired by the Holy Spirit says that God loves the world so what's the contradiction here why are, is God allowed to love the world and Christians are not meant to love the world doesn't make sense does it we have to understand what John's saying when he says do not love the world and in, in 1 John in particular when he refers to the world, he does use the same word, cosmos. But it doesn't mean a physical place. It means a system that is set up against God. A way of doing life that is opposed to God. Um, if you were to come here on a Wednesday night um, at five o'clock, between five and ten o'clock, you'd, you'd come across Slimming World. Okay? I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I value my life too much. Uh, <laughs> perfect. But Slimming World, we get the use of the word world, don't we? It's people with a common aim, a common uh, identity, a common approach and attitude towards, well, in this case, weight loss. Yeah? So John is not saying, do not love that which God has created. Do not love the physical world that he has created or the people that he has created even but he's saying don't love a system which is actually operating entirely independent of God and is set up against God a a, a system with a common aim a common approach and attitude towards denying his, his existence and a Christian John is saying you need to have your brain switched on for this You need to have your eyes open because it's all around. You don't have to look far to see. Okay, one of the things we do as Christians is we look at the obvious things about people rejecting God, don't we? So we say, okay, well, there's a Christian preacher on the high street who gets arrested. 
That's the example to look at. Well, it is pretty shocking that that happens in the UK, but have you ever thought that everything that we listen to and watch and read about and hear on the radio, like, where's the mention of God? It's silent rejection of him, but it is rejection of him. And so we tend to sort of drink in all of that stuff and think, okay, well, it's not directly rejecting God or speaking badly of him, but it's not even mentioning him. It's giving no reference to him. I I spoke to one young lad um, previously on the doorstep. I think it was last week. He was uh, 18 or 19 or so. And honestly, during the conversation, he, he was so honest with me. He said, look, mate, I haven't ever thought about God. I never talked to my family about God. Never even come up in conversation. And I believe him. Never speaking, spoken to my friends about God. And, and, and he said the only thing he could tell me was that on one hour a week in a lesson, he is encouraged to entertain the idea of God. But even that is like saying that every view of God is exactly the same. So goodness me, you sort of think, if that isn't being in darkness and not even having the opportunity to think that there might be a God, what, what is? I mean, and yet that would be a common experience, wouldn't it? If you speak to people around you, if even in your own life you think about the amount of things which don't even make reference to God, he might as well not even be there. And if he is there, he's completely irrelevant. That is the kind of thing. That's the world that, that John is speaking about here. And, and John is basically, he's having to draw this contrast because we just don't see it, do we? So he wouldn't be having to do this if, he was, if it wasn't for the fact that as Christians we kind of think, well, it's neutral, isn't it? Everything... I can just watch that program, it's neutral, it's a bit of entertainment. I can tune into this, it's neutral, I can be on Instagram, I can do... And yet, we have to know that these things are set up in a way that is opposed to God. It doesn't mean that we don't interact with these things, don't hear me, hear me wrong here. But it does mean that when we interact with them, we have to have our brain switched on as Christians. We have to prepare ourselves knowing our identity... Knowing who we are and then realising what we're interacting with is something which won't acknowledge God. In fact, it will try to erase every trace and try to get us not thinking about God, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. To distract us from the idea that there might be a God. From us asking the questions. Because this world around us is, is spectacular, isn't it? I mean, you just take a look at even the tiniest details of the world we're in. And you think, there must be a God. Someone who designed this, who created this. And yet, if, if, if the world can distract us from, from that, take our, you know, keep us so busy to even ask that question or think about him, then we're in darkness. And John is saying, for Christians, don't, don't love that. Don't set your heart on that. Because it will be enticing. It might look like the people who 
are go- happily going on with their lives, not thinking about God, are the people who are having a, a better life. <laughs> the celebrities, the popular people, the, you know, they've got everything. It can so easily, can't it, win over our affections. And, and John is saying, don't, don't fall in love with that. Do not love the world. And he, he brings a bit more detail to that in verse 16. He says this, for all that is in the world, and he lists three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The desires of flesh, I think that's a, a, I think all three of these actually can be summarised as a a self-gratification. Living for me. And uh, the desires of the flesh, well, living to please me. For what I can get out of this, for, for, I mean, goodness me, you know this works, doesn't it? Because you have advertising. Advertising wouldn't work if it wasn't for the fact that we have this desire to feed ourselves, to, to love ourselves. It plays off that. Desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. So what we what we look at is powerful, isn't it? It's preaching to us. It's saying, "Are you going to? You should love this. <laughs> this is what is beautiful. Whether it's a picture of a model or a picture of a, a, a guy with washboard abs. Thanks, Sam, for commenting on mine earlier. You know, um, it's saying this is beauty. Behold this. Don't behold God, <laughs> the one who made it all." Behold this, this is beauty. Look at this. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the one that nailed me, really, because it was, it was saying the pride of life, the pride in the things that, that I live by, the things that I have. And really, that's where it leads to, isn't it? I can sit there and I can sit, oh, I'm such a successful person. I've, I've managed to buy myself a car. I mean, not many people could say that. Sam's bought a car as well. So we could sit there, you know, feeling all glad about ourselves, you know, proud of ourselves for having having bought a car. Not thankful to God for the fact that he has been the one who has actually provided everything. You see how pride can get in? The desires of the flesh, me, me, me. The desires of the eyes, the cravings. It's actually the word cravings. It's more like an addiction. What I see, this is beauty. I need more, more, more. <laughs> and the pride of life. And, and, and John is really just helping us to see that this is not of God. It's not even going to point us to God. So as a Christian, you have to ask yourself the question, am I gonna, how am I going to interact with this? How am I going to interact with this thing preaching at me? This program that, that wants me to write God out of the picture this thing you know it doesn't mean that you won't interact with it but make sure that you're not falling in love with it make sure that it hasn't got your final affection make sure that your affection is for God your father okay that's 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 all we've got to say on that um John's closing words uh, in in the last verses of this letter if you just jump to the end of the letter it's actually only quite short so you can probably read it yourself um in verse 21 of chapter 5, 
his closing words about to them, to the Christians here, are little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, Christians, keep yourselves from idols. That's something you have to work at, isn't it? Something you have to do. It's not something that's going to happen automatically. You need to make sure that you keep yourself from idols. And as you do that, God will be working in you to, to respond, to see what's really there, I think, is the main thing. To see what's in front of you, because we just wouldn't see it otherwise. God's word, it turns up the contrast, helps us to see that's, that's darkness, that's light. Otherwise, we'd be all just pale shades of grey. We wouldn't be able to see what's in front of us. And God's word comes in and, it, and Jesus comes in and he shows us what God is really like. Um, let's, let's apply this a little bit. If you're a Christian, then this passage is, is for you, isn't it? Because it says that this is your identity and this is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to watch out for. Um, so it would be worth you going away and having a think about these words. Because of this identity that I have, what is it that is going to be most likely to attract me this week? The big message here is that you are not of this world. You belong to the Father. You know him and he knows you. So when you're tempted to dive right in, to crave the things the world craves, or to chase what they're chasing, remember that this is not who you are. You're different. You've been saved. You have a new identity. Don't love the world. Love your father who loves you. And you know just how much he loves you, don't you? That he would send his only son to die in your place. Uh, If you're not yet a believer, it is helpful to see that there are these two ways to live, basically. It sets out for us, doesn't it, that you either live with God as your father, and we've been hearing about that here, through Jesus' his son, or you are still in darkness. And that darkness might not feel that uncomfortable. You might not even be aware of it. Because most things around you or in your life, they don't outrightly deny God, but they do fail to acknowledge him. And if you were to go through your week and think... This week, let let me just do a survey of my life and see how much reference there is to God and come back next week. I I think the results would be pretty shocking. And hopefully, that would help you, that God in his kindness would be revealing to you that the soundtrack or the script that's dubbed over life in his world, remember it's his world, is that he doesn't exist or that he's irrelevant. Shocking, isn't it? It might not shock us. And that might be yet another reason why we see that there's a darkness. We need him to reveal himself to us. Uh, Why don't I pray for us that now? Uh, But the big thing would be come to Jesus. He is the light. He can show you who God is. Look at him, listen to him and you will meet God. Let's pray. Father God, we are those who would trust our own judgment. 
We were trusted by what we see with the naked eye, with, with our own discernment already in place. And yet really we are not fit to do that when it comes to you. Uh, we thank you that you don't leave us in that state, that you interrupt our thoughts with your word. You interrupt this uh, worship of each other and ourselves with the one who should be worshipped, your son. And thank you that, that because of that, we can have life and light, that we can know you. And we pray that we would be those who would look to Jesus, we would be those who listen to him, and his word abides in us and bears much fruit. We pray that we would be those who would be able to discern what is right and what is good, what will lead us away from you and what will uh, show us more of you. We thank you for, for this time together now where we've been in your word, possibly the only time in the week where we have. Um, and, and yet thank you so much that you're gracious to do that. Please would the words that we've heard from you instruct and guard us this week and help us to live for you, we pray. We love you. We thank you that you are our Father. Amen. Amen.